Hello, my finest friends. Welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. This week's guest is the brilliant Phil Wang, who you may remember from Taskmaster if you saw it. It's burnt into your retinas. Also, uh, I can't mention it enough, a fantastic uh, takedown of Tom Hiddleston um, with uh, a vitamin advert that does come up in the podcast once again but uh, I absolutely recommend you watch that seven or eight times right now Uh, you will laugh Um, look if you're enjoying these podcasts there's lots of ways to support us you can become a monthly badger get access to loads of backstage interviews that are never shown anywhere else you can see my stand-up shows for no additional cost you'll get uh, discounts sometimes on ticket prices for streaming and stuff like that you get information about who the guests are before everyone else gofasterstripe.com slash badges it's three pounds a month that just helps us make the podcasts and um, you get a badge and a little membership card and all sorts of stuff on top of that and we are doing more of these podcasts in 2022 uh, there will be some more added in january but i'm doing the leicester comedy festival and the bristol slapstick festival and then we're back at the leicester square theater from the end of february most mondays till the end of april uh, head to richardherring.com gigs for info on those and please book your tickets in advance it would be lovely to have big full audiences for all of those. So, and I think I'm doing one, this should be out in time, I'm doing one at the Phoenix uh, off Oxford Circus in London on the 29th of November 2021. And I uh, haven't got the guests as I speak, but it will be lots of fun, very small room. So uh, do book if you want to come and see that. Richardown.com slash gigs. Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahala Stepper with Phil Ip Wang. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who people in 10,000 years' time will still be reading and listening to. If you're listening to in 10,000 years' time, hello. From the past, do you understand my language? It's Richard Herring! <laughs> Thank you very much. Hello, hello. Welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Uh, though I was playing with my kids' LOL dolls uh, today. It's pretty cool, right? They call it Rahalastapa. Uh, and I call them LOL dolls, and that annoys my kids. <laughs> They're LOL dolls. Um, no, you know, not much is going on at the moment because uh, all that's happening is I'm writing uh, my... Uh, Radio 4 sitcom, Relativity, Series 4, should be out in 2022, uh, and researching uh, Rahalastapa. Rahalastapa. So, yeah, there's not much going on. But I notice that um, they're doing a new Willy Wonka film. Have you seen this? They're doing, a, they're doing the origin story of Willy Wonka. Now, it should be good. Uh, Paul King's directing it, and uh, Simon Farnaby's writing it, so that's going to be good. But, you know, I want to see... You know, they should do this for everyone. I would like to see the journey that Charlie Bucket's sperm takes to get <laughs> to get to the... I think that genuinely could be quite a good kids' film because they do... Or they do... Even if it's not Charlie Bucket's sperm, but it'd be better if it is Charlie Bucket's sperm because you can then call the film Bucket Fanny. But uh, it's... Um, <laughs> but, if, you know, I think they, they do all these things about death, now they soul and, and feelings and stuff. I think they, they, you could do a good sort of adventure of the sperm's... Travel journey, couldn't you? They'd be good little cartoon sperm. I think it'd be good. It'd be like sort of finding Nemo. I think you should. I think you could. 
Squid Games. It is going to be a little like Squid Games. Thank you, David, for it. Um, or a version of Charlie the Chocolate Factory where Charlie becomes aware of the fact that it's sort of weird that all the kids who've been chosen apart from him are sort of such caricatures of evil and realises that it's a, an artifice like the Truman Show and has to try and escape from... I think that'd be quite good. If you're going to try and reinvent stuff, just, you know, I've got lots of ideas. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for everyone who's uh, streaming at home. You, if you're listening to this podcast, you will still be able to um, catch up on the videos. We're not going to put them on YouTube this time, so head to richchain.com and you can find... You can watch and see what's going on. You can see my fancy boots. Um, <laughs> and marvel how tall I am. It's beautiful. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. But we're going to crack on. Do buy my books, The Problem With Men, and uh, what's the other one called? Would You Rather, that's it. <laughs> I've written so, and I've got so many books, it's hard to remember what they're all called. They'll be reading Would You Rather in well, probably six, six months' time. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think that one's going to stand the test of time, but you never know. You never know. You never know. There's only one way to find out, and that is to buy it. Anyway, let's crack on, because uh, we went on for a long time last week. Went on so long last week, it was almost this week, wasn't it? <laughs> but here we are in this week. It happened anyway. Will you please welcome now my guest? He is probably best known for appearing as Magolic E on Top Coppers. I wonder if they're going to make another series of that. I wonder if there's another series of Top Coppers in the pipeline. It's Phil Wang, ladies and gentlemen. It's Phil Wang. <laughs> Phil Wang. Phil Wang, is that your little? Is that your glasses Hi. case on? It can't be. There's a glasses case on that chair. No, this must, must be no, Dave Gorman's. Oh gosh, are they glasses? Where well, he's gone, he's gone. He's he's out of here. Is there anything well, the in there? Specs in it. Great. So good news is they're still here. Bad news is he's not going to be able to find his way back. <laughs> yeah, I can read. Those are good. I'll keep those. <laughs> I got Richard E. Grant's perfume, didn't I? He left his on the seat. It's, good. it's a good little scam, this seat. <laughs> That's two things I've got off this seat in 260 episodes of this fucking shit. Uh, welcome. <laughs> nice pair of glasses. Uh, hello, Phil. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Richard. Doing well? Doing well. Good. <laughs> I think I'm doing all right. I think you are doing very well. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing okay, man. I'm cool. just running around. I've... Yeah, I've just moved house, so I'm mainly just, like, going to John Lewis. Yeah? Yeah. Have you I bought don't. or are you uh, up, renting up? Um, I, uh, John Lewis. Yeah. I, I still... Yeah. I, just, I just buy the bits I like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're buying furniture, are you buying furniture or are you buying stuff for your kitchen? Well, uh, and just linens and sheets and okay, stuff. Yeah. And today I had to go back because there was gunk on a sheet I bought. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, from John, it was John Lewis gunk. I mean, high quality gunk, yeah. but still gunk. And um, I, uh, and because uh, the, the funny thing about John Lewis is I has this legend as, oh, they, they're custom, they're so good. They bend over backwards to correct any, so, they perform harakiri if there's anything wrong with one, like you will gain one life of a John Lewis employee. And, and so I was like, well, so when I saw this smudge, I was like, oh, great, I'll call up, they'll send me another. In, in, in their humiliation. Yeah. And I'll keep this one with a smudge and I'll just wash it. Yeah. Because that's all that is really required. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll have two sheets. But they emailed and they, they called and they said, you're going to have to go into the shop where you bought it. They don't give a fuck anymore. They don't give and, a fuck. And so I went in today to the, to the counter with this 
and I put brought out this badly repackaged fitted sheet. Because I'm like, this is messed up. This is John Lewis. I'm not going to um, pack it nicely like I'm that little bitch. I'm going um, <laughs> to make a statement. And I brought, took it out of my bag. And I, before I said a word, the lady behind the counter said, I can't take that. And, like, and, I, she before, and I was like, what happened to this legendary custom? I was so angry. And, and eventually she talked herself around into accepting it and gave me, <laughs> uh, gave me a replacement for it. And I was like, I can't believe this. This is the last time I ever... And then I, I thought... Well, seeing as I'm here, I do need some bath, man. So I went and I... And I, and I started thinking, is this their new business model where every time you buy something, a yeah. bunch of things, they make sure one has muck on it. Yeah. Like the cashier just, when you, she, they go, hey, look behind you, and then they smudge a bit on yeah. it. And then you come back to replace it, and then you go, well, I do need, I need the toilet brush. Yeah. And see, so, yeah. It could be that. I think if I was John Lewis... I'd definitely go around the shop wanking onto stuff. <laughs> I'd definitely, wouldn't it? It's a nice shop. Yeah. I just, at night, you know, not when people are around. It's not, not okay. Harvey Weinstein thing. It's just like, someone's going to get that. Let's see if they bring it back. Right. See okay. if they bring it back or they keep it. And they keep a note, Phil Wang kept the spunky sheets. <laughs> Interesting. I think that's pretty bad that there's... This, you gunk. buy some. Sh well, that's not right, is it? Yeah, and I was trying to think, where, where does gunk get introduced <laughs> into the process? Well, I've told oh, you. All <laughs> oh, right. This was black gunk, though. This is like <laughs> gray, gunk. Oh, gray okay. gunk. John Lewis is a very old man, but as it gets, <laughs> that's it. He must be 200 years old by now. He's rising from the grave, squeezing out this sort of worms in it. <laughs> Didn't anticipate this going this way. Uh, so, you know, that's what I love about this show. You never know. Well, congratulations on the move. Thanks. Um, what, do, you remember, do you remember about Top Coppers? Was yeah. Nice, I, was I, nice experience? I, I love Top Coppers so yeah. much. I still remember being told that I got the part. I, was, I couldn't believe it. I'd, I've ne I'd never got a part in anything. I still haven't since. <laughs> it's my own, only role. It was such a fun show, Top Coppers, and so funny. And... Um, and I just remember being shown the script before the audition and laughing at it. And you'll know, you're shown scripts of things and very rarely that you actually laugh. Sure. And this one I was really laughing. I wanted so badly to get the part and I did. And um, yeah, it's, such a, it's, a sad, it's sad that it's only ever had one series, but it's now on Netflix, that, that first series. It is on Netflix, so you never know. Yeah. Could be brought back. Then I'll have egg on my face. <laughs> yeah. Because I told John, I just I made fun of John Kens about, about it. Oh, okay. I asked him if there was another series in the pipeline. Yeah. Like four years after it was last on. And, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, he was a main role, so he was. it is more his fault it is than his mine fault. that it didn't. It is. I'm not blaming you at all. Yeah, I'm, no, me neither. I haven't watched it. I won't watch it. Um, <laughs> I, I refuse to watch it. Um, I've been very much enjoying, I've, I've, I've been listening to your, uh, the audiobook version. I also have, I have it in hard copy as well, that in like old-fashioned people. But yeah. if, if this is going to last another 500 years, you need it copied down. The audiobooks don't last. Uh, so uh, it's called uh, Side Splitter. Yeah, Side Splitter, because it's funny, but it's also about me having two sides, British and Malaysian Chinese. <laughs> Yeah, it took and no more months. than that. Just two. Those, That's just those, those, the two only, sides. Yeah, there's only two <laughs> sides for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Do you like it? I do really like it. I think it's, um, you know, it's interesting as a, a as a comedian. I think to have the perspective of both 
being foreign and not being foreign. Yeah. Okay, so knowing both cultures. Yeah. And that, because like comedy, and certainly that kind of comedy, either, either you know, the, the kind of comedy that's either reaffirming, there's a lot of comedy that reaffirms, and it can border into racism, uh, where this is how we are, and let's laugh at other cultures that are different. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, that's what, you know, certain 70s comedy was, was often like that. Uh, and never occurring to people that if you were in one of the other cultures, they'd be looking at your culture and laughing at the things in you. So it's yeah, a way exactly. of reinforcing your own culture and your own, um, the, the crazy things in your own culture by laughing at other people for doing things differently. But if you have an, uh, both cultures, or right. two cultures, you're able to step outside and, and, and realise what is ridiculous about. Yeah, both. and sort of laugh both ways. Yeah. And kind of have your cake and eat it, in yeah. a sense. Yeah. Because I can, I can tell jokes that are in the, anyone else's mouth unequivocally racist about Chinese people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then go, it's fine, I'm allowed, I have license. Uh, yeah, no, totally. I, I, and and I, I, you know, I, I honestly think if I wasn't mixed race like this, um, I, I wouldn't have ever become a, a comedian because I think to become a comedian, to be enticed into this line of work and this lifestyle, you have to feel like you sit st stand outside mm -hmm. society or, or people who seem to have their things together or an identity that is solid. And so comedy, is, at least for me, it was a way of forming an identity sort of after the fact. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's interesting because you feel, within the book, you talk about feeling that you're sort of, in, in each culture, you uh, you don't fit in, even though you're both. You don't yeah. fit into either because in uh, in um, uh, in the in China and Malaysia, then you will uh, people will see you as a, a white mm. guy, and in the Britain, you came to Britain thinking, oh, now I'll be accepted, and then you're seen as a as an Asian guy. Yeah, totally. So totally. so it's it's that not fit that feeling of not fitting in certainly as a kid, I think, is is obviously drives. Comedy, I think, for, for oh, a lot definitely, of yeah. I think not fitting in can go one of two ways. It can either make you feel ostracized, or yeah. it can make you into an egotist because <laughs> you realize, ah, you think I'm special. I, yeah, because I think everyone, we all live life thinking we're the main character mm -hmm. in a movie, all of us. But when you literally look different to everyone, that delusion has a little more weight. <laughs> it feels a bit more like it is true because you look different from everyone else, you know? Um, and so, so maybe that was part of it. And that's why I think like if, if I'd been born completely Malaysian and grew up in Malaysia, completely uh, white British and grown up in Britain, then I, 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 wouldn't have, I wouldn't have become a comedian, I don't think, I don't know. Maybe, but it's, uh, there's lots of interesting things in it. I was very interested in the chapter about mind your language, which I wasn't oh. anticipating being something you would know about as you're a young man. Yeah. Uh, but when I was growing up, there was a, there was a sitcom in the 70s called Mind, and briefly in the 80s, uh, called Mind Your Language, which was set in a language school. Uh, yes, yeah, English as a second language class in a night school in London. Yeah. It's a, a sitcom started in 1977, I think. And it was about Mr. Brown, who taught English as a second language, to a classroom of, uh, conveniently, one of each race in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like a university prospectus, but <laughs> to the extreme, to a whole class. Um, and and, and it's, it's, for the most part, it's an excuse 
for these characters. There's, you know, there's a, a Sikh guy, there's an, a, Hin, a Hindu woman, there's a Chinese lady, there's a Greek guy, an Italian guy, and it's an excuse for all these different cultures to get English wrong in their own way. Mm-hmm. And it is now seen as the quint, like one of the quintessential racist old British sitcoms. An example of, look how far we've come. Um, and I dedicate a whole chapter in the book to this sitcom that is now, you know, quite obscure <laughs> and, um, and, and largely culturally um, rejected. But I, I, I make a case for it because it's, it's as, as racist as people might think it is, it's huge in Malaysia. People love it. It's, it's on right now. It's right. being... <laughs> It's all, <laughs> we get our TV four decades after you guys are done with it. <laughs> we get hand-me-downs, basically, a yeah. button TV. Um, uh, no, it's on at the time, and it's on again now. It's just on repeat again and again and again. It's our friends. It's just on again and again and again. <laughs> and uh, my, my uncle David, I called him to talk about the show, and he was like, yeah, it's on now. It's my favorite show. I'm so happy. <laughs> and I speak also to Sindhu V, comedian Sindhu V, who's um, Indian, and she said, yeah, growing up, everyone in India loved it, too. Well, you know, her family loved it. And... It, you know, as crass as the humor is, it was a representation of these people who, in a big British show, an internationally huge show. And, you know, you want to make a case as much as you like about, uh, about how much we've progressed in terms of um, racial sensitivity, but you'd be hard pressed to find a show that exists now that has the racial diversity. Yeah. Of mind your language. Yeah. Well, I watched a bit of it. I, I genuinely, as a kid, I loved this show. Right? I loved, it. and it was, it was, it very much is of its time. Mm. Uh, and you know, it, and it, you know, you could, you couldn't make it as it is now. But I watched a bit of it again, having read your chapter. Uh, and it's, you know, it's interesting because it isn't. They're very sympathetic characters. It's not, re- you know, the, as you say in the book, the, the principal of the school is. Kind of racist, yeah. She's and, the, she's the, and yeah. unpleasant. She's the but uh, but every there's just pe- it's about people struggling with the English language and it's broad strokes. Oh yeah, but, but I mean, the jokes are not good. The, many of yeah. them are not good. Yeah. Some of them are good. A couple are good, yeah. And a couple uh, of the performances are really really good. Yeah, and it's and as you said, but it's more the sexism is probably more of a problem. Than yeah, the racism. Yeah, yeah. But they, you know, but but it is showing it is showing those cultures, and as you say, people in those cultures would have found it funny because it because it's just a broad, it's a it's a friendly sort of fun look at cartoonish look at yeah. nationality. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they should bring it back. That's not no, what I'm saying. I, 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 I don't say that either. <laughs> no. I'm, not, I'm not crazy. But yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to, try and look at this, look at it with a more nuanced uh, eye maybe. And I, I get to interview Pixie Lim, yeah. uh, who played the Chinese character, uh, Su Li, in, in Mind Your Language. And she's actually from Malaysia. She's Chinese Malaysian as well, which is great. And she's really wonderful. She, she's been acting forever. She, you know, she has her IMDb goes from, I think, 1964 to 2021. Yeah. Like she's still going. It's crazy. She's incredible. Um, but her character, Chung Su Lee, was just this little um, red book waving Mao obsessed <laughs> Chinese communist yeah. who'd. Who, and her only character trait was that she said L's instead of R's and R's instead of yeah. L's. <laughs> so she said, this is ridiculous. How dare you? And she was like, it was so hard to speak like that because 
it, no one talks about it. It's really, really difficult. Um, but the, the, the trouble was, um, she'd come in and say things like, um, the, the market price is a depraved alina for capitalistic um, devils. And you go, okay, she's mixed up her L's and her R's there. But aside from that, that's pretty good English. Why is she in this class? <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so logically, the, the whole show doesn't always hold up. <laughs> but there's one of the things I saw was her at, at Speaker's Corner. And there, it's kind of, in a way, it's sort of forward looking. There's a, some liberal people say that we're the friends of China and we want to, the people in China are all miserable, they're having a terrible time and we want to help them. And she's going, no, no, everyone's happy and, you know, the, and she loves Chairman Mao and all this. And, and then they, the friends of China, white, well-meaning middle-class liberals, start fighting this actual Chinese person. Like, yeah, and it's, you know, it's actually, away, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually quite, you know, progressive in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And otherwise, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I just found it very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I kind of set myself a challenge of saying, can I write a whole chapter about a sitcom <laughs> no one watches anymore? Well, you did it, and, it's very, and it made me very happy to... And it, it made me happy to go back and look at it again. But it, and, and it, you know, 19, in 1970s Britain, which I do remember, yeah. was properly full-on racist, okay? So mind your language is nothing compared sure. to just other stuff that was on TV. That's true, that's true. Uh, that's true. You know, and, and just even thinking, like, children's nursery rhymes had like proper racial epithets and you're not allowed mm -hmm. to like you were taught as a kid yeah the original eeny meeny miny mo it's not tiger it's not a tiger mm. not a tiger uh, and you know there was there was that that language you know as i was growing up was absolutely ingrained in 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 the english language yeah and so, do you remember when when, when something like minded language was playing did did it did it was there something that sort of grated or were, were you so were you so racist? I think I was. Were, were you, like, what was it? Was it so much part of the water, essentially, that you swam in? That um, it. I mean, you know, there was much worse things than mind your language that I think right, I, sure. that everyone would have, everyone sort of accepted, uh, you know, and heart, and not many people were complaining about. And I think that's. You know, you, you, I think you may, may. Was it you talking about Bernard Manning, or was that someone else talking about Bernard Manning? But that, the, 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 you know, people at the time weren't massively complaining about it and so there mm. was there was you know it, it that's what happened in the 80s is people started to say no this this isn't on but there was a, it's a generational thing you know that that has happened and so all the comedians now saying oh we're being cancelled for saying this or saying that we're all part of the you know the generational shift yeah. or at least that there was another one then in the 80s where where things became un unacceptable yeah yeah things change cultures change and yeah. Things change yeah um but you know it's sort of astonishing that kids were taught that's you know, and yeah, so I was I was essentially racist, but as a <laughs> as a seven year old, yeah, there was there was a you know there the was cutest kind. I was a lovely, racist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> but, you know, but it's that that feels astonishing to me that you know I was taught a nursery rhyme with the N word in it. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and we did a we had well, I'm sure we weren't taught this, but we had a and I don't think there's any way I can even describe what this one was. There's one about a Chinese man who, uh, and that's, that's putting it much more nicely than the rhyme does, <laughs> who uh, goes to milk a cow. Are you, are you aware no, of that? I don't know this nursery uh, rhyme. <laughs> I mean, you're nervous. I'm just excited we have representation <laughs> in, in, in a nursery rhyme game. I mean, it's well, not quite, it's not quite a nursery rhyme, because it is... It, he, uh, <laughs> 
Because, I mean, if it's about him not being able to digest the milk, it's actually well <laughs> observed because Chinese people lack the lactose-breaking enzyme, so okay. it's actually quite... Well, he wouldn't have any problem with that in this particular rhyme, is all I say, because <laughs> okay. he doesn't end up with milk. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's, that, that's my, you know, in 50 and half a century... That's the journey that, that we've been on. And I, mm. and I think that what's, as much as the book is, is very moving and very honest portrayal of, of, of what, you've, you know, what you've been through and the, the, the problems you've faced as well, it's very, you're very reasonable about, mind your language, you're very reasonable about um, cultural appropriation. There's a great chapter about cultural appropriation and how basically you argue that as long as, you know, as long as you're not being rude, <laughs> it's yeah. okay to take things from other people's culture. Because that, that yeah. we've got ourselves into a sort of mess, I think, about, because things have come from a really dark place, that, that something like someone wearing a, a traditional Chinese costume at a prom yeah. becomes an issue. Yeah, yeah, because it's all tied up with ideas of imperialism and, and stealing and, you know, and you know, cultural appropriation now becomes conflated with... With, with theft because there's a history of something um, pretty uh, um, close to theft happening you know between the western um, empires and and the rest of the world but I mean to, to, to say that you know I talk about Keziah Daum who is this uh, American uh, teenager who at a prom wore this Chongsam uh, Chongsam is this Chinese traditional dress and she looks great in it um, I mean I felt a bit creepy looking up Photos of a 16-year-old girl at prom and writing down, she looks wonderful, but I can qualify it as research for the book. Um, Peter Townsend had something similar in it. <laughs> Have you written a whole book just to get around the fact you were Googling this? Oh, no, she would have been 18 because she's graduated. Uh, oh, there you go. Thank fine. you very much. Can I get a round of applause? Yeah. Uh, oh, almost got one going there. <laughs> But anyway, so she wore this Chongsam, uh, and and she posted the the photographs of of her wearing it, and uh, you know, the Twitter hate started. All these people saying, you know, my 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 culture is not your prom dress. Um, but then it's like, well, but she's not she's not pulling her eyes back and going, "Me love you long time." She's wearing a dress <laughs> that is important that she thinks is beautiful enough yeah. to wear to the most important social event in her life up to that point. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm just arguing for a more nuanced approach to it, a more reasonable approach to it. And, the, you know, and frank, you know, culture is appropriation. It isn't a question about trying to remove appropriation out of culture. Culture is appropriation. It's yeah. how culture, um, you know, de develops. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very, it's, it's very interesting. And there's lots of uh, funny stuff in there as well, I have to say. Oh, so it's, 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 uh, it's not just dry <laughs> cultural analysis. But... <laughs> I wish it were, because that's why I really get my kicks on. <laughs> um, well, you talk. There's there's a few things that uh, resonate with me. You talk about shitting yourself uh, in class when you're a, ch oh, yeah, a, a when child. Oh yeah, when I was a kid. Which, yeah, I, which I did as well. You did? Shit yeah, some? I did it. Very very similarly story, and which I think my audience know my story. But I shat myself rather. Than, I was sort of nervous about going to the toilet. To do a I poo as, it. I as it a so much. kid, and you, there was sort of you weren't allowed to do it if you went. You were had to. You weren't allowed to shit at school, really, and that was all through whole of school. But this yeah. was when I was four or five, uh, and I just and I was wearing little red shorts. I can remember it very. And this is goes into what you say in the book about remembering hu your humiliations. Yeah. And I just decided to shit my pants, thinking it would stay in there, and 
and the same as in your story as well. The, uh, some kids were going, "Oh, what's that smell?" And I said it was a naughty dog outside, <laughs> outside the window, which made no sense. The smell was in the room. It's like it would have to be a dog, like shitting through the window, you know, firing diarrhea through the window. Uh, but they believed it because they were idiots. <laughs> until a, like a piece of shit was then discovered slipped out of because I was wearing shorts and it just slipped out of the my pants the naughty dog has put his poo in my <laughs> pants this dog is so naughty but you similarly you, you, you managed to you convinced them did you that it was a, yeah I, yeah I, yeah well I was sat I was sat in the library and we were being given like the library rundown being told basically how libraries worked you know pretty pretty big day um, and and the librarian was talking about the due decimal system or whatever. Um, and I, I needed to poo. And, and I, again, I hated going to the toilet to yeah. do shit. It was scary. It was scary. Because <laughs> then you're a child and you're trying to squeeze something out of you that is, relative to your size, pretty big. Yeah. I mean, now, like, whatever. It's, a, what, a 116th of my body mass. But at the time, it was like a quarter, maybe? Yeah. And it's scary. You go into the toilet wondering if you'll make it out alive, almost. <laughs> and so I, I would try and postpone every poo as long as I could. And, but this one I couldn't hold anymore and I like let it, I let it fall, a little bit fall out into my pants and I just... And there's something, there was also something embarrassing about wanting to go up. So I just pooed in my pants and I thought I'd gone away with it and the lady's going, you know, you keep the spine on the outside. And, and then... <laughs> And then I noticed the boy next to me, sort of, like I can see his, like his nose hairs like spring up, like you know, meerkats, you know, and and and, he, and I'm like, oh, here we fucking go. And he turns, the little boy turns around, and looks at me, and he looks me dead in the eye and goes, "Did you?" Did... I mean, very judgmental for a small boy now. I think about it, but he goes, "Did you? Did you do a poo?" And I thought about it, you know, this, and I remember so clearly weighing my options. I felt like I sat there thinking for like three minutes. But I thought, I, my thought process was, I've done a poo. He smelled something. Now, I can deny that I've done a poo. Yeah. Oh no, that's not what he said. He, he turned around, he didn't, no. I've messed up the story. He turned around, he didn't, he didn't say, um, did you do a poo? He said, did you fart? The little boy said, did you fart? And... And I started weighing my options then and thinking, well, I, I could deny the fart as well. But at this point, with this much smell, the idea that not even a fart has happened <laughs> is for the birds. <laughs> and I also then could, I was old enough to make the, the decision that being accused of a fart is less serious than being accused of a shit. Yeah, and being found guilty of a fart is less serious than being found guilty of a shit. Yeah. So then I went, yes, I have done a fart. And he went, all right then. <laughs> and he, <laughs> and we, he turned his head back and we continued to, continue to learn about borrowing limits. And <laughs> what that was to me was my first lesson in the idea of a lesser evil. Yeah. And that you can be presented with two um, unideal options. Yeah. And instead of working fruitlessly for a good option, which you're not going to get, you should choose the less bad, mm. 
bad option, which in this case was being found guilty of a fire. Yeah. Um, and so um, I learned sure a lot. Make sure your underwear are tight as well. That's the other. Sorry? Make sure your underwear are tight enough to contain the poo. Yeah. And make sure there's at all times a dog in <laughs> close enough proximity you yeah. could blame it on. Naughty dog. Naughty dog. Naughty, naughty dog. dog. Can, you can blame anything on naughty dog. Believe you me. <laughs> Believe you and me, my fine friends. <laughs> Hey, and also, we will come back to the book because there's lots to talk about, but uh, you have got a Netflix special out at the moment called yeah. Philly Philly Wang Wang. Not just out at the moment, out in perpetuity, I okay. imagine. Unless they decide to take it down. I think they might take it down. Has it happened yet? Yeah. Oh, no, they haven't taken yours down. I oh. had things on there that they took down. Really? Why? Yeah. Well, because they bought them for a certain length oh, of right. time. And yeah. Then... yeah, well, I don't... Yeah, that, that wasn't the deal here, so I guess... No, but just... yours is that net made by Netflix. Yeah, so the Netflix. only reason they take it down is that they really didn't like it. Yeah. Or you just do something so awful that they can't have you on the channel anymore. That's true. Yeah. Uh, let's look on the brightest side. <laughs> or maybe they run out of space. You think they'll ever be like, we need to free up three gig. <laughs> they might <do>. <laughs> <laughs> And they just uh, arrange, arrange files by file size. And they just, <laughs> mm, like just do a desktop cleanup. Um, one of the things you do is uh, an impression of a sperm. Oh, yeah. I've got a part in a film you could do. You might, you might have a part in the new Pixar film. <laughs> okay. About Charlie Bucket. I have no reason to believe that's how a sperm sounds, <laughs> but it fits the look, doesn't it? Yeah. I, it's actually very sim... I, I was on the uh, program Taskmaster. Yes. And I... There was a task that was best sound, and I did essentially that sound, but right. it's more that was a. With, yeah, it's it's really gross, but you can't get enough. <laughs> like sperm. Yeah. <laughs> the Taskmaster appearance was. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it at the time, but the, I had to go back and watch some of the tasks again because there was only one thing in my mind <laughs> from, from your Taskmaster. And I watched it all. I enjoyed it. I think it was the first series I properly watched the whole thing for, for your series. Yeah. So I did see all of the tasks, but the, all I could remember, my memory is going, I'm quite old, was what you were wearing. Yes. Well, more specifically, the shape of something underneath what you were wearing. Yeah, you'll be talking about my dick and balls. I am, I am talking about your dick and balls. I honestly, I can't believe how often I have to say this. <laughs> I did not intend for that to happen, yes. for my dick and balls to be that visible. Because in Google pictures of Bruce Lee wearing that outfit, this, you don't see his dick and balls. No. But it turns out you have to be quite physically fit to carry off <laughs> a tight-fitting yellow onesie. Yeah. Um, and plus, you know, I guess I'm just very well endowed. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the first day, I, and you have to, once you put on that costume, you're committed to it because you have to wear it through all the tasks. Um, and so the first day I put it on, I felt a bit tight, but it felt fine. I was like, fine, whatever. And the crew, I noticed, was stifling the kids and laugh. <laughs> but no one said there was a problem. I now realize in retrospect, they just realized it was good TV. Yeah. And so no one said anything for months while I did these tasks in this outfit. And then late on in the process, we do the first group task day and they bring in Rod Gilbert and James Acaster. 
And it's the first time I filmed any tasks with anyone who isn't a member of the crew. And the second Rod and James see me, they go, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> and it was, I felt like Eve eating a, a, the apple. I was like the yeah. first I'd become aware of the shame <laughs> of, of nudity. And you can actually see, if you watch that series, the first task, group task day is the first day that I'm covering <laughs> my genitals because it's the first day I've become aware of my shame. But do you think... Do you think that's... Because, you know, yeah, since Taskmaster, it's been an upward trajectory for your career. I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> do you think it was the, the, the outline of your genitals? Because that's a lot, often like... Young women do that sort of thing, don't they? they, they they'll appear on TV in sort of skimpy outfits and mm. become... Was that your... Do you think yes, the, the accidental... Kind of, I was gender-busting the industry. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, the, the, I'd like to have a gimmick, you know, and your gimmick is we've all seen the rough shape of your genitals when flaccid. Yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I wish I was flaccid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> No, I mean, I, I was surprised and thrilled that people took it with such good humor. I, I thought people would be disgusted and appalled. And what's weird, actually, is how many families come and say, I'll bring their kids and like, our kids love you on Taskmaster. <laughs> I go, I didn't know they were allowed to watch that. And that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But, yeah. um, but no, people seem to have taken it on the chin. Has <laughs> <laughs> any good sport word. And... Uh, and, and yeah, it's odd because like having all the, all the stuff I did on it diluted to my dick and balls. Yeah. Uh, but it's fine. It's good to have something to be remembered by. Yeah. And I People guess, will remember your dick and balls long after you're gone. <laughs> That'll be the last memory of you. There's, there's I think 500 years. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be the last time anyone mentions my yeah. dick and balls. Could be, it'll be interesting to see how long it'll be. And I know we did, you did appear on the Edinburgh version of the show and we did talk about it, but I do want to mention again, just because I want everyone in the world to see this who hasn't seen this, but your, uh, you did a, a video of uh, Tom Hiddleston yeah. uh, and the, the Centrum vitamin pill yeah. advert. I mean, we can't talk about it, but you really have to watch it. And every single... I don't think there's a thing that every single time I see it, I laugh as much as I did the first time, and then I can watch it four times around and I'm still laughing. It's one of the funniest things that's, that's ever kind. existed. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate that. It was, <laughs> you know, it was a Sunday in a hotel room in Melbourne that uh, was well used in the end, I guess. I, I, I filmed it in the morning. No, I think I wrote it in the morning, filmed it around noon, and then spent the evening editing it and put it out. And, uh, but yeah, it was, just, it, was just, it was just like really good luck that this ad had come out with Tom Hiddleston is for a Chinese vitamin brand Centrum. And it was filmed in portrait mode so that it could be played on an iPhone. Um, and it just so happened that the, 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 the place he was in looked very much like the hotel room I was in. <laughs> and, um, and it all kind of fell together. Um, and I, 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 well, I got a message on Twitter when this ad came up from the comedy writer Andrew Dawson. And he was like, you should do a video where you're his girlfriend um, doing his, lapel, his collar up. And I thought, oh, yeah. And then I thought, um, maybe instead of the girlfriend, I'll be, he's, 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 uh, he's broken into my house. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, comedically, that's an easier premise to perpetuate. Because there's conflict there. You can just keep going. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I was like, okay, he's broken into my house. So then, so I just filmed, I mean, I looked, men, I looked absolutely crazy. I was just like, <laughs> film myself with one hand and, um, uh, yeah, but it, it, it all kind of worked out. And because he said all these mad things in this, in this, in this advert, that he was basically just sort of saying punchlines. Yeah. And I just had to write the setups for them. <laughs> and he's such a weird guy anyway, that it all, it all kind of, yeah, it all kind of came together. He has, Tom Hiddleston has seen it, apparently. Has he? Apparently he has seen it. I he, bet he doesn't find it funny. Well, he says he, says he finds yeah, it Yeah, he doesn't, though. <laughs> he is weird, but he is weird, right? He's a weird, and I think that's the, and when you see him, and I've seen you talk about him as well, you've like, you know, you picked on him in a, another TV show, I think. But the, the, the choices he makes... Yeah, uh, like you talked about him doing an impression of Robert De Niro to Robert De Niro. Oh, it's a great piece of footage. Yeah, <laughs> it's truly incredible to watch Robert De Niro not know how to react and trying to be polite, but also wanting to convey to everyone watching at home that he's not enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a big baller movie. If you're going to do that, an impression of someone to someone, you have to be. It has to be the fucking best impression in the world. And Robert De Niro is quite an easy one to do, right? It's not that good. No, it's it's not, isn't, it's not so he's done a bad impression of Robert De Niro yeah. to Robert De Niro, who will have get that every day. Someone will come up to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's better. That what I haven't. That's what I did there is better than. Okay. That was really good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's such a superpower to do something not very good and go at the end. That was probably that was great. <laughs> I'm brilliant. <laughs> And that's why he's in the night manager, and I'm not, because he just goes, <laughs> I'm great. Have Centrum, who I would never have heard of without you, yeah. got in touch and offered you any free pills? <laughs> not so much as a multivit. Not so much as a tab of D. Because I, I would say, I would say your parody has probably been seen more than the advert, because the it, advert yeah. was... was Local, wasn't it, to wherever? wherever. China, presumably. China, yeah, that's, that's it's just, pretty big. It's pretty big. <laughs> it's also like it's it's a thing that's been seen. It, it's 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 a thing of mine that I've made that's probably been seen more than anything else I've done. Which yeah. is weird because it was just filmed on an iPhone in a hotel room. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's that's the world we live in, Richard. This <laughs> is. Yeah, it's a mad world, isn't it? It is. It's, it's crazy. A crazy. A mad, mad world. Um, I think these are crazy times we're living in. You were know? <laughs> <laughs> born in the same hospital as Robbie Williams? Yeah. Um, North Staff's maternity hospital. Did they make a big deal of it when you came out? They said. When I came yeah, out, they my mother. Yeah. <laughs> got, they had first Robbie Williams, now this. <laughs> <laughs> now this guy. Um, no, weirdly, my, the, the doctor that delivered me was a Malaysian doctor. Mm. In Stoke, um, which was quite coincidental. Yeah. Not very funny. But an uh, incredible bit of... Um, mm, mm. What's, it, what's it when it's not... It's luck, but it's not necessarily positive. It's just an unlikely thing to happen. But the ha Yeah, that's what it's called. What's it, what's it called? Uh, no, it's... It, yeah, it's like... No, coincidence is right, but there's like a wankier word that we're reaching for. <laughs> Serendipity, thank you very yeah, much. Right. There's a film, I was there's a film with John Cusack in it that's terrible and I was trying to think of the title of the film and I couldn't, I couldn't get to it. Thank serendipity. you, Serendipity, yeah. Very serendipitous, my favourite word. <laughs> um, I liked in the book the distinction which I'd not heard before, I don't know if you coined this, 
that uh, well, the the the, the fact that well, there's a quite a lot about the the terminology for Asian people anyway, and we'll get onto that. But uh, that you that Asians divide into cricket Asians and eat weird shit Asians. Oh yeah, <laughs> is, is that is that your <laughs> Is that your observation, or is that something you've... That's my... No, yeah. yeah, that's my observation. Yeah, yeah that's something yeah. special, yeah. I say... <laughs> I say there's essentially two types of Asians yeah. in the world. There's two main categories. I mean, there's more, if you have the time, but... <laughs> fundamentally, when we talk... When we hear the word Asian, we go, is it that one or that one? <laughs> and it's cricket Asian and eats widget Asian. Yeah. Half of Asia plays cricket, and the other half eats crickets. That's right. how... <laughs> That's the mnemonic I go by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the book, you do discuss the ethnicity box tick thing that you that we will have to do every time we get we get one of those one of those uh, like a diversity survey. Yeah, diversity yeah. survey. You don't have to do it, or you can say you don't want to fill it in. But I, I like it, prefer it, not to say. <laughs> I've never I've never had the confidence to take prefer not to say. <laughs> I don't know, I just kind of is like, mm, wouldn't you like to know? I kind of think, who do you think you are? I prefer not to say. Um, I always say, I always say. Yeah, um, but it's difficult to know what to say, as you've discussed, because yeah. it seems very insensitive. For something that's meant to be presumably sensitive and yeah. about inclusion, it seems to not well, really have got the wording right. Yeah, it sort of stems from the indecision in the UK specifically about who the word Asian refers to. Yeah. Because I'll, I, it's quite common that I'll be filling this form in under race. It'll be like um, black Caribbean, black African, white uh, British, Asian, and then Chinese and other groups. <laughs> and it's like, first of all, I think there are enough Chinese people in the world that we get our own box. <laughs> <laughs> and aren't grouped in with other groups. It's like, if you're Chinese, you take that box. If you're a member of the Sami people of Lapland, then you're also in the same box. And the other thing... The other thing is like, but there's already Asian. Why, why have you said, why is there a box for Asian and then another box for Chinese? Now, because I'm mixed, there's usually a box for mixed, so then I take mixed. And then within mixed, you have to choose your version of mixed. Is it um, white and black? White and Asian, and I go, oh, well, I'm white and Asian. Ah, but in the first category, Chinese is an Asian. <laughs> so then instead, I, I take mixed other. So in a diversity survey that is presumably created in order to combat the feelings of otherness, <laughs> I literally have to tick a box that says I am other. <laughs> It does seem great, but if they put your if they put your distinction, uh, the Asian, that would be it, wouldn't it? Cricket Asian, or, or yes. shit Asian. Then that's that what I've be been campaigning <laughs> for, and it's what I really want to talk about tonight. Is <laughs> to add the boxes cricket Asian and eat twitch shit Asian to the national census. Uh, oh, interesting. I am I'm part Asian. Oh, my hair is Asian. Yes, I've got I was, Asian hair. I was thinking on the way in, yeah. Riches has got some Last Samurai shit going on <laughs> up top. Yeah. It's lovely, silky. I've been to, I went to a, I know, I know this, I went to a, when I was in Thailand for quite a while. You were in Thailand to, for quite a while? Yeah, I was in Thailand for about two months. <laughs> well, like for. I don't know, Richard, when a man of your age <laughs> goes to Thailand for two months, for, it's I not was, a good look. 
no matter how much your hair looks like theirs. <laughs> I was in Thailand for two months on holiday <laughs> with my girlfriend. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I got my hair cut because I hadn't had my hair cut. Oh, yeah. And the Thai, the Thai barber said, you have, you have Thai or you have Asian hair. Right. Are you mm. sure he wasn't saying, do you want a hair tie? <laughs> he was saying because it grows, because of the, uh, the direction it grows in as much as anything, and the way it grows, I think he said it was very like Thai hair. Oh. So, you know, I, I could write a book about being partly Asian. <laughs> my, just my, uh, the perspective of how most of me is English, yeah. but my hair comes from Asia. Yeah. It, and how that's, calling... uh, that's affected me. But him calling your hair Thai, them, I, think, I think statisticians talk about this as um, a base rate fallacy. Um, because presumably, all the hair he's got is Thai. Yeah. So you bring into him human hair. <laughs> he's gone, wow, this is like Thai hair. But of course it is. It's the only hair he's ever seen. I think he was on the beach, you know, he was a barber on the beach of a tourist beach. I think he okay, cut okay. a lot of European hair. Right. Okay. And he was, you know, impressed with my. On the beach? Well, no, you know, he was by the beach, so it was oh, a tourist. Okay. But it was a tourist spot, so I think he would have cut a lot of people's hair. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm not, I don't know how many tourists get their hair cut on holiday. Yeah. But Thailand's the kind of place you go to for a little while sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, obviously they get it cut enough that he set up shop next to a, yeah. a hotel. So, you know, I turn up and he goes, wow. Wow, Thai hair. So, Thai hair. You can have a discount. Yeah. Hmm. Just letting you know. <laughs> we, should we share something? It's nice hair. You're not going to hear anything else from me. <laughs> okay. It's lovely hair. You look great. Thanks. I do my best. Uh, <laughs> uh, and also, you, 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 we, uh, there's, there, there does feel like a lot of similarities in our <laughs> hair and our upbringing. <laughs> but uh, there, was lot, there was lots in the book that I identified with, I think, just in terms of, because we're obviously comedians and yeah. we're both quite nerdy, introverted guys. Yeah. Although I think you've said something that you can't, you can, uh, maybe it was a newspaper interview, you can only think of one extrovert comedian who you don't name. <laughs> yeah. But, well, but you, think, or you think, I mean, I think it probably is true that a lot of comedians can't. aren't full out extroverts on the whole. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of comedians I think who are like, you know, they come out there. And I, I don't mean to disparage that, that way. It's just, it just I, I only say it to point out that it is rare among comedians to, to, to have extroverted tendencies. Um, I think because coming up with the jokes is quite an introverted sort of, you know, thing to do. You kind of have to hole up and think in your head all, all the time and come up with cheeky little tricks to make people laugh. And, you know, you're not instead of going out and enjoying life. Yeah. <laughs> you're just staying at home and coming up with little tricks <laughs> in your little lab. And, and I, th I think comedy is, comedy is essentially about like, stand-up especially is about overanalyzing things. And I think that's what, what introverts do. Introverts overanalyze. Extroverts yeah. don't analyze in, in, enough. Usually they go jet skiing and fall off bridges and you know, <laughs> they have a good time and they, they, they die in yeah. extraordinary ways. <laughs> Whereas introverts, we stay safe, we come up with ideas and we die eventually of loneliness. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's that weird disparity. When you were a, a shy kid and like when you suggested being in doing it, being in the school play, the, the teacher thought you meant in the audience because they couldn't imagine you. Oh yeah, well my first ever gig was at school in Bath when I moved to the UK and uh, there was a, a comedy night put on by the drama teacher called Club Ha Ha. <laughs> strange name for a teacher. <laughs> um, anyway, and it, it was predominantly to showcase the student improv team that he was, he was coaching and teaching, but he advertised that there were five minute stand-up spots 
they're called five minute open spots available to anyone who wanted to sign up. And so I, I went up to the drama studio and there was a list outside and he was working on it. And I said, can I, can I do the show? Uh, and he said, yeah, uh, yeah, I think we've got a seat left. And I was like, no, to do the stand up. And he went, oh, uh, okay, yeah, and he looked very nervous. <laughs> let me do it because I wasn't a really funny kid. I was, you know, I was, I was good at math, so I did a bit of music, and uh, you know, I kept myself to myself really. And so, he, uh, yeah, he he probably thought this kid's gonna die on stage. Um, and, and I went on, and I did five minutes of uh, pretty much stolen material, and um, and it, I did well. Like I, I had the technique, and I, I got the laughs where I was meant to, and it worked. And that was my, that was my first ever gig. But it, it wasn't like an expected turn for me. I no. wasn't like a class clown or anything. And what do you think? I mean, if you are, because I, I was, I, I was shy as well. I think as a, I mean, I, 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 maybe not in the exact same way as you, but it's, but it, what do you think? You know, most people would look at being a comedian and going on stage and thinking, well, that's the last thing I would do, however comfortable I am in social situations. What do you think means that as an introvert, one is able to stand on a stage and tell jokes? Is it just the well, safety it, of it? Or? Yeah, it's a structure of it. It's the agreement that I can talk and everyone must listen for an allotted amount of time and then we can go. There's, there's a clarity there of who's meant to talk. What makes me anxious, I'm, I'm far more anxious like in a group of five people at a pub and everyone's like <laughs> throwing jokes at each other. My only thought is I don't want to ruin this and so I won't say anything. Yeah. Uh, because there's no agreement as to who should be speaking. You have to vouch for yourself. You have to present them with this is what I have to contribute and I think you'll find it qualifies. <laughs> In stand-up in a performance setting, the, that, that qualification is presumed. And, and, and so that's what drew me to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's, I think it is true that, that largely speaking, there's, a, there's this... I mean, is it some, something missing in comedians or something extra in comedians? Yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> just acknowledgement, I think, a lot yeah. of the time. I mean, when I started doing, doing stand-up to show that everyone that... See, I can be funny if I want to, <laughs> and I have lots of time to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> and I write the words down on a list. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's kind of to show off a bit as well, you know. Uh, we're, we're fundamentally show offs. Yeah. We're, we're, we're shy show offs. It's, it's an odd thing. And, but it, and it's, I don't know, I th it feels a little bit like you've sort of become cooler through the last few years. Me? Yeah. Thanks. Well, you're, you know, you've, got, you've sort of sharpened up your image a little bit. It's kind of interesting watching your stand-up because it there's a sort of almost arrogant confidence behind the behind it as well as it being yeah. quite you know what i mean it's quite an yeah. interesting persona which I, I think has changed a little bit no totally yeah yeah my, my persona is it's more like high status yeah now i guess I, it's always been a bit high status um but but i'm trying to bring some silliness into it too uh and yeah, as I've gotten older, I've just become a little more confident, a little more comfortable with my looks and like wearing glasses and stuff. And I used to wear like little skinny glasses because I thought mm, the smaller they are, the less people will notice. Them. <laughs> maybe people won't realize they even wear glasses, but they just, they, they're all the more obvious because they're just two like, you know, black sort of slits across your face. And so I, I got like these big old frames and they're a little more good for my face, I think. And it means like I'm owning it, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, get, I get these glasses at a shop called Moscot. Uh, they're really beautiful glasses. And, uh, but I embarrass myself there all the time. And the first time I went in, I was, I, I'd, been, I'd been encouraged to, to ask for um, a, med a media discount. There's another comedian who was like, I, I get all my shit free or at least discounted. I go in and say, give me a media discount. And this is not my personality to be asking for <laughs> media discounts. But I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a media discount. I'm... I'm I'm Phil I'm Phil Wang. I've shown my genitals to a nation. I deserve <laughs> cheaper frames. So I went in and I was like, I picked up the glasses. Oh yeah, they're lovely. And then when he was ringing them up, I said, uh, uh, "Do you do a media discount?" And he said, "What?" <laughs> and I was like, mm, already losing confidence. I was like, "Media media discount." I'm in the media. <laughs> and he kind of went, "Ah." Uh, I'll give you a student discount. <laughs> Which was his very nice way of saying, I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> and I want you out of my shop. <laughs> I get my glasses for free when uh, other guests just leave them behind. So that's, that's, how, I, that's how I do it. Works, works a treat. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's... Um, what was I going to say? I'll just have a... Th let me have a think. No, I've got nothing. I'll ask you an emergency question. I'll ask you a would you rather question. Oh, yeah. Let's see how this goes. Um. Would you rather, this is an interesting question about um, introversion, introversion versus extroversion in mm. some ways. Would you rather, have, what would you rather have named after you? The public toilet in the centre of your town or an embarrassing disease? <laughs> The toilets would have a big neon size sign uh, above them saying the Phil Wang toilet. The embarrassing deed disease would be mentioned on the news a lot and be caught by about one in four people. <laughs> Realistically, you would also have to be the first person to have the disease for it to be named after you. If you have a common name, you might be able to convince people it wasn't you. Which you sort of... Yeah, sort of I do. mean, Wang is Wang, as if common the, as it gets. If, I don't speaking. know if they would call it the Wang disease, though, because that... Whatever they, <laughs> Okay. Especially if it was actually on the penis. If it was a penis disease, they called it the Wang disease. <laughs> They'd have to call it the Phil Wang disease. That would be perfect, yeah. <laughs> Especially if it was a disease, a disease where your penis sort of got unnaturally engorged because yeah. then you literally filled your Wang. Yeah. The Phil Wang disease. Then I could... I could say with some level of believability that, no, it's not my name. It's just the, the description of the disease. Yeah. Spelled People would go, what, the... Scientists who named it use the term Wang in the name of the disease. <laughs> it's the yep. German word for it. I think I'd go for the disease. Okay. I think a legacy is a legacy. Yeah. Uh, the toilet, it'd be run down eventually, and yeah. you know, it, the city wouldn't look after it after a while. Get turned into some rubbish speakeasy. And, uh. It's just, it's, it's good to be remembered, isn't it? That's the thing. It's good to just exactly be remember, regardless of what of. And the, the disease would always, would always be there, wouldn't it? The, the, those people who have the diseases named after them, it's forever, isn't it? You know who I envy? Heimlich. Yeah. He, he's the only one with like the cure named after him. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a maneuver named after him. Isn't that cool? That is cool. I mean, you think, imagine Parkinson's looking fucking Heimlich. He got. <laughs> People are happy when his thing happens. Someone's got saved when his thing happens. Yeah. And they don't have a name. It should be the person who first choked on something. Should, the disease should be named. <laughs> the disease of choking. <laughs> the disease of not being able to eat your food properly. <laughs> imagine that being named after you. 
Heimlich came along, rescued that person as well. Um, also, it's not a maneuver, it's squeezing someone until it pops out. That's just squeezing. Sorry. I didn't know I had such beef with Heimlich. Yeah, I don't know. It's good, to, it's good to know. Right, I'll do one more and then we will... Okay, we'll get... Because we, we got a bit morbid towards the end of the last one as well. Would you rather know how you'll die or what will happen to you after you die? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think I'd rather know what happens to me after I die. Because yeah. if you know how you're going to die, that's torture. Yeah, and you'd be looking out for it all the time, right? Well, well, you'd be able to avoid it for a long time if they say you're going to fall out of a window. Just keep away from windows. But in order for that warning to be true, it has yeah. to eventually happen. It does, yeah, but eventually you'd get bored of being alive and jump out a window. <laughs> <laughs> the mental torture of, of being terrified of windows eventually causes you to jump out yeah. a window. <laughs> wow. You accept it, you accept it's your fate. Oh, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. God, that's an interesting... But then knowing what happens after you die, that, that could be more torture, couldn't it? Than if I you... guess I'm arrogantly assuming it would be nice. Right. After what, if it, what if it is, as it is, nothing? <laughs> yes, I mean, that's the most likely... Yeah, well, that is what it, that's in... what it definitely is. <laughs> so I'm telling you, when you die, it's like before you were born. Oh, I see, that's what you mean. I, yeah. thought, you, I thought you meant that you know how what happens to what everyone else thinks of you after you die oh, okay. and what people say about you like a sort of like a Christmas carol kind of thing where you float about and oh yeah, they can have that as well you can have that show. interpretation as well right okay so you'd rather know what people thought about you after you die yeah, why not, yeah, why not just... ask them while you're alive <laughs> oh, it's I'll tell you right now <laughs> that's easy to find out what, what happens in the afterlife is there an afterlife it seems highly unlikely there's yeah. no reason to believe anything happens but it could, mm. but but then the question, the awkward question is, is there a before life? If there is no abyss, what were we before we were born? Good question. Maybe, hmm, I don't know. Mm, I, yeah, no, I don't think there is an afterlife, I, but I still will say sorry to God right before I die. Okay. Just in case. <laughs> Just before you jump out the window? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> BT way, uh, uh, God, sorry about all the wanks. All right, bye, <laughs> and then just... <laughs> I mean, if you knew you were going to die in a plane crash, that would be a, that would be torturous because you would know that you know every plane you got on, you were essentially possibly going to murder everyone else on the plane. So you'd have to never get on a plane, but know you'd one day you'd have to get on a plane. Mm. So you'd have to just say, "Get out, yeah. everyone, get out." Set it on autopilot. That'll probably make it crash. <laughs> this is another self-fulfilling prophecy. I like this. This is yeah. like some Twilight Zone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because then, then if you're like, I know this is going to crash, they'd probably kick you off the plane. Yeah. And then you go, oh, fuck, I've got to do this all over again. <laughs> the next time I get on a plane. Yeah. Oh. It'd probably be a heart attack or something like that. That's the thing. So then you, there's nothing you can, like, if you're going to die in your sleep, that'd be, that, if you're going to die in your sleep, have a heart attack every time you went to sleep. Oh, is it tonight? <laughs> I mean, you should be thinking that anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. it could be. I guess that's the best way to go. Yeah. The, the way I want to go is I want to be... Have you seen Mulan, the Disney animated movie? Uh, yes, but I'm not... Uh, Lu Shang, I think is the name of the villain. At the end, he gets... Spoilers. He gets shot up into the sky on a big rocket and he explodes like a firework. Okay. And I've always wanted that. <laughs> I, I want to be set up on a platform yeah. like I've been condemned in the Wild West <laughs> yeah. and I've strapped a huge, beautiful red rocket and, and all my friends and family are there in front of me, and I'm strapped up. 
and I go one by one saying thank you for everything you've brought to my life. Yeah. I love you, and then move on to the next one. I've got a couple of enemies as well, maybe, that I set the record straight. Um, but they're mainly friends and family. And then I go, it is time. And um, someone lights the fuse, and everyone puts on their Macs. And... <laughs> don't say, oh, this is my death. I, uh, <laughs> don't get sensitive. I'm, I've come to terms with it. And I get fired up into the sky, and it's... Yeah. Yeah, and it's a celebration. And it's so Chinese. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. it it's, the, it's good luck as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not that good luck to be blown up in the sky by a firework. I'd say that's pretty bad luck. It's good luck for everyone else. Showered in your entrails. <laughs> they're wearing Max. I would, I, would I would have the firework designed so they would burn at high enough temperature that I'm completely um, incinerated. Okay. The Max are just a precaution. Okay. The smell of your, the delicious smell of your burning flesh. Yeah, my last meal is really delicious, so I smell good <laughs> when I go up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought, I've thought this through, Richard. You really have. It's yeah. very, nice very nice to know. Um, let me see if there's anything else I want to talk to you about. Otherwise, I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, tell you to fuck off. <laughs> I think we've got most of it. I think you're, you're in, within your um, stand-up special... There's an argument you could, you know, they're, they're, everyone's looking for sort of the right-wing comedians. And there's, oh, a, yeah. so there's a sort of shift towards some less left-wing views, or you, at least within it you discuss the fact you used to be socialist, but now you're not. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, uh, yeah, that was mainly of... Uh, yeah, I just grew up a lot in my mid-twenties. Yeah. Yeah, and realised that there's no... Um, good or nice politics, it's all just different people with different aims yeah. um, and different, um, you know, um, drives and incentives. And, um, uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a right-wing comic, I'm, I'm pretty cent centrist, really. And I, 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 you say, you know, you say you were socialist until you start making money and then yeah. now you're not socialist anymore. But that's true of everyone. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. That's true of the socialists. Yeah. That was true of the communists, <laughs> you know. And so... I, 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 yeah, I only do the bit to say, you know, human nature means that we only really believe in what benefits us. It's, well, there's an argument. I think that I, I find it interesting looking at, again, some of the, of the very left-wing comedians of my generation have turned into the sort of most right-wing or libertarian, which is similar, uh, people. Mm. You know, some of them have become sort of, rather than being comedians, just sort of becoming political spokesmen. And they were the guys on the marches. And I was never, I was, I've always been fairly apolitical. Yeah. Um, I, I can't really think, who you might, in my mind, all the sort of, the, the, that, that generation of left-wing comics are, are still... Some of them still are. Yeah. Some of them still are, but, the, but it's interesting to see the ones that aren't. And some of them aren't well-known. One of them is quite well-known. Uh, and But I think, but for some people... That it's the same thing. It's, it's within that joke. There is a, a truth. For some people, they are left wing when they're young because they don't have anything. Yeah. And then when they have something, they go, "Oh, I, you know, now I've got." So it's a, it's a sort of self. Some people are left wing for self interest, and some people remain left wing. I think. Well, I think there's that there's that adage. If if you're if you're young and right wing, you're you don't have a heart, and if you're old and left wing, you don't have a brain. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's that's basically runs true. And that yeah, but. Yeah, but you should but, go for the right wing thing because there aren't, you know, they're trying to get more right wing. But if you're right wing, right, yeah. just I'm, push that a bit further. Start yeah. being a bit more racist. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty racist as it is. 
No, but I mean, this is what I'm saying, you know. I mean, the last general election showed that the left wing is perfectly capable of being racist too. So it's not like we're picking between racist and yeah. not racist. It's different. What flavor of racism are you willing to tolerate? <laughs> um, and yeah, so... Uh, uh, but also, I, it's, I think in stand-up you should do something that's surprising yeah. and interesting. And it's not interesting to go up and say easy left-wing things and get easy applauses. And I've never been interested in that. I don't like applauses. <laughs> <laughs> As much of my stand-up career will testify to. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, and there's a, there's a, there's a, well, there's, there's loads. I don't want to give away all the, the stuff in it, but I, I, um, there's some great stuff about um, uh, male contraception. That's a very, a oh, very yeah. you can listen to some of this on a, there's a podcast, and you do do a podcast uh, called uh, Bud Pod. Bud Pod. Yeah. With your buddy, Pierre Belli. It's just two blokes talking a load of shit to, to each can other. Can you imagine? I can't so imagine that. Format, is I that? can't imagine that work. I can't imagine it work. No, it's like they haven't even prepared anything half the time. Don't even know where they're going. It's pathetic. Uh, but you can. Some of the Netflix specials up as uh, podcasts as well. Oh if you, yeah. If yeah. you haven't got Netflix, yeah, or yeah. you can't find someone else who'll give you their password. <laughs> yeah. Get it before they they have to take it off to clear some <laughs> HD space. Comedy will keep on, they'll keep on shifting comedy on her. As, as tastes change, look at Mind Your Language. You'll be the Mind Your Language <laughs> of the 2020s. People go, do you remember, can you believe in the 2020s people used to laugh at this guy? He's doing a Japanese accent in that bit. Look at that. Can you believe that was allowed? Yeah, I mean, that's one way to cement your legacy, just to be um, morally reprehensible <laughs> yeah. to the next generation. Yeah, <laughs> But, you know... We are comedians. We should be morally reprehensible. Um, the book Size Splitter is 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 brilliant. So Thanks, do man. do get the audio. As always, I recommend the audio books because you get the comedian reading it, and especially with comedians' books, I find it's 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 really great to get all the nuances of the comedy within it. That's the thing in it because it's yeah. very hard to write delivery in a book. Yeah, and you realise when you write your first book as a comedian, a lot of a lot of how I've been getting on with this has been shtick <laughs> and, and timing. And, to, and now I have to trust the reader to have good timing. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been a yeah, it's fun to write. Well, that's when things are written down. That's what you find. I find that with social media as well. People go, oh, you've been annoyed about that. Go, no, you're reading that in the wrong tone of voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hit a nerve. No, you're, no, you haven't. <laughs> No. Also, you've noticed like with a, a tweet, like tweets, joke tweets that do very well on Twitter never do well on stage. Right. And jokes that do well on stage never do well on, on Twitter. Yeah. I think I find because it, it's like a different thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. It is. What a and what a what a point to end the. <laughs> what a worthless anorak point. <laughs> uh, do watch it. Philly Philly Wang Wang. Hardly anything about Philly Philly Wang Wang or Chitty Chitty Wang Wang and the whole thing. Very disappointed. No, Chitty has never been part of it. I, I never even, it never even came to my mind that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang had anything to do with my name. Someone once said, oh, I like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I went, oh yeah, I guess it is. But it's just my name in a weird way. Okay. Just keep on hammering that name. Just get people to remember it. Yeah. People remember it. It's okay. Thanks, man. It's going pretty well. You've got new sheets. New cheeks? Sheets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do have new sheets. Have you got new cheeks as well? You are sitting down, maybe there's some work. 
been some work in that. It's been absolutely lovely uh, to have you on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Philly Philly Wang Wang. Thank you. Thank you very much. Come and see us next week. There's still some tickets. Goodbye, my fine friends. You have been listening to Rahulastapa with me, Rich Terring, and my guest, Phil Wang. Uh, the music is by Scad Brigard. Thank you very much to Chris Evans, not that one, and everyone at Go Faster Strike and all the people who know me. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for all their hard work on this show. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz, GoFasterStripe.com production. Why not go to GoFasterStripe.com and see what they have on offer? It's a fantastic place with some lovely, lovely things for you to listen to and look at. <laughs> <laughs>